It's my space. No, it's not. It's your space. No, it's not. It's we're space. No, it's not. What? It's third space. Third space. Yeah, third space. Threw me. I thought third space was going to be the third and line. Yeah. So. I like to make it fourth because it's third space. Excellent. Man, you're just <laughs> on it with the openings. Uh, yeah, man. I've nailed it. Yeah, I think you've got a future in in music if the teaching, you know, if the robots take over teaching. Um, I'll just turn to jingle writing. Yeah, I think you can do it. Hey, I've got a question for you. Um, I was walking around the lake recently, and someone rode past me on a bike, and the bike had really fat tires. Have you seen these fat tire bikes? Yeah, I assume they are intended to like drive on the beach. Well, that's like what that. I was going to ask. Like, what's the point? of the fat tires this this trail around the lake is paved and i don't live near the beach so what is the genuine purpose of the fat tire bikes my assumption is it's some sort of traction obviously bigger more contact with the ground better traction also harder to pedal more wear on your tires maybe even a rougher ride um and more stability i guess but you'll hit more rocks you know what i mean like you can you can weather a rock better but you're gonna hit more of them if it's triple the length of like a really really skinny like cycle cyclist's bike wheel. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I'm talking about, but I had no idea. But uh, I I really think it's for beach riding mainly. Like I see them at the beach a lot, and I know it's almost impossible to ride a bike at the beach. Yeah, so. but is it is there a cool factor to it? Like, is that the new like? You know how we used to have, when we were kids, we used to, have to put pegs on our yeah, bikes? Yeah, yeah. Put and, a baseball card in the Stokes. Well, the Stokes. Just sto- stoking yeah. up that coolness. Stoking <laughs> Um, Is it like that? Because, you know, like I say, this was a paved path. We're nowhere near the beach. And this was, you know, some, some teenage kid or something riding his fat tire bike. And, like, I... I, the reason I ask is because, you know, everything has pros and cons. The con for this is obviously that it looks really stupid, and I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what the pro is. Like you say, riding on sand, that's a legitimate pro, but there's no sand around, so I'm trying to figure out what's the deal here. There's, there's no doubt that, like, it's probably, you know, trendy too, right? Like, maybe it is an increasing trend. I, I might have... I probably have bias, like, because I see it near a beach, and that just fits, right? Like, oh, it makes sense to go ahead and have... So you might have more bikes with fat tires here but now if it trends and goes like nationwide then you have people in you know like wisconsin or something with these bikes it's like why why so uh yeah no there's no reason other than it could look pretty cool it seems like it would look a little bit tougher right like the the whole bike has an impression of being thicker and stronger it looks goofy to me it looks like a kid's toy when I see the fat tires on the bikes, like I imagine a giant baby hand coming down, grabbing him and being like, vroom, vroom, vroom. And that's what I see. Every time I see it, I'm like, a baby's about to grab you. Uh, whereas when I see the skinny tire bikes, they seem sleek, you know, like you're going to see someone hunched over on them, like zooming around. Right, that's what I think. Kind of straight and they have, yeah, yeah. colorful, like tight clothes with a, and they wear a helmet. <laughs> yeah, those guys. Um, yeah. And you know my feeling on those guys. But but <laughs> what I will but I will say in their defense is that their bikes look cooler than the fat tire bikes. If the, if the guys riding around in front of my car on the road had fat tires, I don't know if I could I don't know if I could keep my cool, man. I don't know. You know, with all 
<laughs> with all the popular beers, have uh, also been you know trendy and and oh, right. like fat That's fat tire true. beer. So yeah. no one drinks skinny tire beer, right? Or, like racing bike beer. They drink skinny cow, which is I think, or maybe that's the the ice cream. And there's like skinny girl vodka and stuff, but that's more feminine. So yeah, the fat tire, is manly. It's just a manly yeah. thing to do. Is have a fat maybe, tire. Maybe this twelve year old was, uh, he got this bike after his good experience with fat tire beer. Probably so. Probably uh-huh. so. Well, problem solved. Now we know. Now we know. Learn something new, all the time. <laughs> um. All right, so hey, how about we kick things off with uh, Mind Your Morals? I like it. I like moral conundrums and ethical been situations. A couple, been a couple of episodes since we've done Mind Your Morals. It seems to be kind of interesting. So um, just to remind all of our, uh, all of our dozen listeners. <laughs> yeah. Actually, actually, I think we are nearing 200 downloads. So Woo-hoo! We should get ourselves a trophy. I know. Um Anyway, to remind people of what Mind Your Morals is, it's very simple. I present a mild, medium, or spicy moral dilemma. Maybe it's not a dilemma, it's just an ethical situation, and we talk about it really, really simply. You try to decide um, you know, what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do, and try to reason through both the pros and cons, maybe. Or um, if something is a binary choice, you try to rationalize both sides of it. So. You know, I like this because it's basically like practicing life. They're thought experiments, but like how how do we operate, you know? Yeah. Like what are our principles? What do we do in the situation? And it's good to sort of, I mean, even in teaching, we, we will act things out to see what, we, what would you do if a student did this? What's the proper way to do this? And what are the consequences? And the best way to do it is to sort of play itself out. Okay, if I did this, then what would happen? And that's, mm-hmm. I see this as a similar situation. Yeah, sure. And, you know, it has all the all the drawbacks that hypothetical situations have. You know, you we can't trust 100% that you would do what right. you say you would do. But it's still an interesting thought experiment, and hopefully the ones that I've chosen are either um, they're things you haven't thought about or they're silly enough that, you know, you, we'll be able to get some of your honest opinion in there. Right. So we'll see. So without further ado, the first... Uh, of mind your morals is a mild. We've got a very mild one for us this time. Okay. Um, so you are on a work trip to another city, uh, and it just so happens that a former coworker of yours lives in this city. So you're staying with them for the weekend. Um, it's a former coworker. You're not super close, uh, but it's also not a stranger. Um, they only have one bathroom in their apartment. Mm. So uh, you're there and you're taking a shower. You get out of the shower and you accidentally knock over their entire stack of clean towels on the bathroom floor. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, and uh, the floor, you look at the floor, it's kind of near the toilet. It's not obviously dirty. You know, it's not like hair and stuff everywhere, but it's not freshly cleaned either. Right. So the question is, wh- what do you do about this situation? <laughs> I mean, the two obvious uh, paths here are just put the towels back or tell them you messed all their towels up. I'm assuming the towels, they, they spilled in an array and got, you know, equally... I mean, you could examine the towels and say, can I pick up the, the spare hairs? Can I pick them off really quickly? No harm, no foul kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, um, and then part of it is sort of uh, how clean... <sighs> Alright, I'll tell you what my knee-jerk is. I would... I would try to clean it up as perfectly as possible, uh, 
I would evaluate how good it looks afterward, and I would tell them regardless, in sort of a really embarrassed, way too hard on myself fashion, in order to promote sympathy, like, oh, he's being honest, thank you for being honest, and that's silly, you're, you're taking it way too hard, to where they almost feel like they are um, soothing me. <laughs> right. um, that's, a, that's the manipulator in me, right? And so, sure. like, and, and that way, uh, they are too busy, distracted, like making me feel better than to be upset with me and I've been honest and forthcoming and I've corrected the situation as much as possible that way if they looked and evaluated they kind of can make a judgment they, they get to say oh it's not a big deal and look you already put it together it looks fine and then they made the call knowing or they get to go no I'm kind of a clean freak and that's gross or yesterday I pooped on the floor and got it up but I'm not sure how <laughs> clean it was so I'm gonna go ahead and throw those and bleach them or something so um so yeah that I feel like that that's the situation I would proceed like that and I would have covered my entire basis. I would have done the work. Like there's no one that's going to say like, oh, well, Daniel was lazy in this situation where he just didn't want to, like I did the work. Because I would feel bad, by the way. Like I would just feel bad that I did that. So right, how so do me, I rectify it as as much as possible? Yeah. So let me tweak the, let me tweak the scenario just a little bit. Um, let's say that, uh, you're staying with this coworker, and um, for whatever reason, they have to go to work uh, on this day. But this is a day that you have completely off uh, on your work trip. It's a, it's okay. maybe it's the uh, the Sunday before your work trip really gets started. Um, they're gone somewhere, so you actually have the entire day, and you take a shower in the morning and knock the t- knock the towels over. So. You know, you could, you know, pick the hairs off, fold them back up and put them back on the shelf, planning to tell them later. Or you could wash them. You know, the washer and dryer are there and available. Uh, You could wash the towels and completely rectify the situation. Is that an option you would consider or is that taking it one step too far? I honestly wouldn't because I feel like this presents sort of a comedy of errors situation where I mess up their washer and dryer that happened to be on the fritz and I didn't know or I use some expensive you know, uh, detergent, or maybe I grabbed their, their grandma's urn next to it instead of the, <laughs> the detergent, <laughs> you know, just some, just some stupid thing would happen. Or like they could be rightfully annoyed if they're not that, cl- they don't worry about cleanliness and they're like, dang it. I like, that's a whole thing of towels. Now you've used my, wa-. like you, there's almost something intimate about using their, all the, the, all of the things involved. And so I think that that's a, that's a little bit of an invasive call in a weird way. Like so I it's actually, would, it's a it's a less moral. Your your proposed action is the most moral course of action in your opinion. According to me, yes. According to you, I, I think to do that could be a uh, a little bit invasive. Um, hmm. I've now gone into their laundry room. I've like dug around for their stuff. I've yeah. fiddled maybe, with their. Maybe you open the dryer and all their underwears in there. And I mean, like, yeah. What do I, what do, I do with this? <laughs> I mean it. There's a lot of risk involved when, as soon as you go out to do that. I might even call them and say, "Hey, I'm willing. I'm willing to do laundry. I, you know, um, I feel like it's unlikely for them to say, yeah, go ahead and do the laundry.' Like they'd have to almost. That's just a strange. Even if they're annoyed and would prefer I do it, I feel like the average person would say, "No, no, no, don't worry about it," kind of thing. But I would do everything I could to gauge. And maybe even if I sense that they were super annoyed, buy them a drink later for, and say, or an additional sort of thank you for letting me stay here. Like, you know, I probably would have bought them a drink anyway or, or, or whatever sort of social nicety it would call for, right? That you've let mm-hmm. me stay here. I've, 
not only did did I infringe upon or, or not only did I what's the word I'm looking for not infringe upon I take, your I took advantage of your hospitality yeah you've extended your hospitality and so in some ways I want to thank you for that and I I you know messed up your towels in some very mild way <laughs> I sullied them slightly slightly uh, sullied uh, your yeah so s- towels <laughs> so I I just feel like um yeah I feel like my position I mean if if I think it actually ups the game if you said it was a pretty dirty uh, floor and like when I picked it up there was dust and hairs but also a little like liquid mystery liquid and like it clearly isn't quite right to just put them back um like that makes it a little more well what do I do I might insist I do their laundry or something I don't know but I would tell them before I would not just go about doing it and say surprise because I find that that would annoy me uh, that would well, I tell you the reason I worded it like like this: the floor isn't obviously dirty, but neither is it freshly clean, and that's because of a tick of mine, which is in the bathroom. The bathroom floor is, like, to me, when it comes to cleanliness, there are there are just inherently dirty areas where if you mess around with this area, you're now dirty, and you got to clean yourself. And the bathroom <laughs> floor is one of those. Like. If you drop something on the bathroom floor, it's dirty. It doesn't matter what it is, how long it was there. If it's on the bathroom floor, you, it's, it's unusable now. Same thing if you drop the soap on the floor of the That's tub. That's what I was going to ask. I hate that. Absolutely hate it. Do you use bar soap? Yeah, I use bar soap. So you, if I'm I, sure you have. You drop it on occasion, right? Yeah, I drop it on occasion. And if it's like on its last legs, I throw it in the trash and I get a fresh bar of soap. If it's... If it's like a brand new bar, there's still plenty of soap on there. Then I'm mad and I'm like, ah, figures. This is gonna be one of those days where I drop the soap on the floor. <laughs> but then I like vigorously rub it under the water until like you know I imagine the whole outer layer of soap is gone, and you know that's enough to appease my uh my annoyance. At I'm sure the, that's accurate. I mean, it floor. is a soap layers would like go away pretty quickly. You'd actually have right. completely fresh soap. Right, yeah, that's how I imagine it is, and like it seems reasonable. It's reasonable enough to to convince my brain that it's okay. But like if I if I drop my own towels on the bathroom floor next to my toilet, which I'm completely aware of the cleanliness of my bathroom because I'm the only one that uses it. But even if I did that, I would be like, these towels are I can't use these anymore. Like I have to wash these, and so even if it's not obviously dirty like that's the thing the bathroom floor dirtiness is a it's an invisible kind of dirtiness uh, yeah and i'm trying maybe, to determine are you idiosyncratic is that really weird or would a lot of people agree with you because i mean i tend to agree that's a little bit grosser of an area but I, if i'd not to stack a towels over and i could just kind of knock them off and they were still fairly neatly fo- folded realistically right like it's not yeah. like they just went to hell and back for no reason like so i just don't think i'd give it much of a thought unless I saw a bunch of little hairs and I don't, I don't know. I just don't think I give it much of a thought and I'm a pretty clean guy. So I don't know. Hmm. So what would you, if you had to assess the morality of actions here, um, what would be, what would be the morality of if you knock these towels over and they fell kind of next to the toilet and you just leave them there. Like they <laughs> towels fall towels fall where they may and you're just like oh dang i knocked these over no matter what i'm not washing these things because i'll grab grandma's urn uh you know they're already dirty i don't know how dirty i'll let them decide i'll leave the towels here like what's the assess the morality of that situation and do you do you tell your um that you're not your 
Do you tell the owner? The, well, not the owner. Why, I host? can't think of words today. Host. <laughs> yeah, your, your coworker, yeah. Yeah, do I tell them too? And say, hey, I knocked the towels over. Sorry about that. I don't or are you just saying you, I just yeah, uh, don't? I think the least moral thing you could do is knock them over not and not tell the owner. <laughs> and maybe right, even deny yeah. it if they say, hey, what happened? Well, okay, so. What? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it may be up for debate is the least moral thing to knock the towels over and just leave them there, not say anything about it. That's obviously not the action I would take. But it could be argued that the second least, or maybe a competitor for least moral thing to do is to knock them on the ground. They are now dirty, you know, to some varying degree. And then you fold them up nicely, put them back on the shelf, and don't say anything. And, like, now they will never know that this happened, and they may have contaminated towels. It, and in the other situation, they have contaminated towels, and they know, and you were just, and you were careless. Right. But I would assume the presumption of goodwill would say, like, that you thought you rectified the situation. Because I could see a lot of people just doing it and not... And thinking they've rectified it. It's perfect now. It's fine. I put the towels back. They didn't think about contamination and they just thought, okay. Like, that's a very realistic scenario to me. And so I'm not, then they're not morally to blame, although you can say that they are um, maybe ignorant or maybe not yeah. thoughtful, but they're not, there's a moral gray area there. So is this the same um, if, situation when someone gets in a, uh, a car accident and you're supposed to, you know, not move them, you know, not move their head or their body or whatever. You're supposed to leave them there until the emergency personnel arrive. And if the person who's trying to help moves them and, and makes it worse. Yeah. yeah. They're not, I don't think they're morally at fault at all. Um, I mean, they're just trying to help. If someone's trying to help, then you're not morally at fault. Um, right. I do. I, I mean, you get into like, I mean, they're acting out of ignorance, and that is dangerous, and that is tragic, but I don't think it's morally uh, weak of them or a character flaw. You could say it's a character flaw, I suppose. Like, ignorance can be a character flaw um, yeah. at some point, but I don't think yet. I don't think it's a moral flaw. It's a char- it could be just a stupidity thing. And, you know, does that make sense? Like, I, don't, I just yeah. don't see it as a moral issue then. No, that makes sense. I, I mean, I, I tend... I'm I'm agreeing with most of your analysis on this. Uh, I just on think this you, moral situation. Are you the, the the biggest jerk? Knows knows their host well enough to say like, ugh, they're so uptight. They'd want to redo the laundry, and I'm making the judgment call that that's not necessary. I'm not going to tell them, and I'm going to get some sort of pleasure by knowing that they, <laughs> you know, because I'm evaluating. I'm insisting my values take precedence. Like they need to get over being a germaphobe. They are uptight and ridiculous, and then I just kind of grin as they use that towel that is infected now, and like that's the Im- that's immoral, <laughs> right? That's again, that's also why I presented the scenario as a former coworker. You don't, you know, you don't have close ties, but they're not a stranger. I tried to, you know, kind of put it in the middle so that right, you're not uncomfortable, but you don't have yeah, but you don't know well enough, yeah. Huh. Huh. Yeah. So. That's good. I think we analyzed that one pretty well. I, I gave agree. you the I gave you the worst case scenario and like I think taking them to the wash is like that's potentially the like if you if you are going to make it as if the incident never happened, that's your way to do it. Uh but like you say it comes with risks. Uh so Yeah. I've got another one for you and this time I'm going to kick it up to a spicy level. Ooh, mild straight to spicy. Skipping medium right. altogether. Skipping medium this time. So, 
this is kind of a prerequisite, but you sh but we, we have to get your position on this before we can move forwards. So you're asleep in bed, uh, and you hear a crash coming from your living room. So you grab a handgun that you keep on by your bedside. You do have one in this scenario. And you enter your living room, and you find a large man in black clothing. He's looking through your belongings. And he looks up and sees you, and he starts advancing towards you. So are, are you justified in shooting him? Um, I mean, you're, you're getting very close to me saying yes. Um, do, are you... I, I would definitely not just start pulling the trigger. I would pull the gun. I would be like, I'm about to shoot. So I I think to just start firing at that point, he's advancing. You didn't he's say advancing, you, he's advancing at, arms you, out. Like he is aggressively yeah. coming at you. I mean, if it's fast and I, I'm, I'm about to, I might be saying like, stop, stop, stop. And, and then assuming like I have, so... Yes, very possibly. So, I mean, we're about as, as like he's not stopping. He's not showing any signs of slowing down. As I'm yelling, I'll shoot or whatever. Um, then I would, and I would. Ugh, I'm torn about like I'm just I'm speaking. I'm I'm pretty ignorant about guns and don't even have that strong of an opinion. But um, I don't want to kill someone. I would just wouldn't want to stop him. So I, sure. I don't. I just try to stop him. And yes, pulling the trigger for sure. I I don't know if I'd be going for like a headshot and like. Just make sure he's dead before, you know, I don't know about, I wouldn't do that. I think I would just try to stop him with everything I've got uh, to incapacitate him. So, okay. Yeah. So that's the establishing that I just had to ask that to establish for what I think is the real interesting um, moral question. But so that's good. If you answered no, then the whole thing would be pointless. Um, I think that given the laws in this country, most people would answer yes to that question. That's kind that's. Kind I mean, of, that's one of the purposes of being able to to have a weapon um, is right. to protect yourself. So, and I'm not, but like the whole mind your morals thing too is that I'm not particularly interested in that situation about whether I would be like sued afterward or not or whatever. I just would be thinking like, you know, what is the moral thing? The higher than what is the law or what's the law? Let me get away. you know. To me, it's like anyway. I just want. Well, but to be there's clear. some rough correlation between morality and law. Uh, I mean, especially when it comes to when you can kill another person. Um, I mean, we do legislate morality in a certain way. So, and this is yeah, one I of think those it's impos impossible to avoid legislating morality. Each law is a sort of moral code in some way. And you're right. I just uh, and obviously the fact that we have guns and in this situation, the gun is presumably to protect, and I have it there as a protective device, and I'm being violated in some way, and like my safety is in violation, so I utilize the protective weapon that I have, so yeah. Yeah, the prereq is not a gotcha, it's a clear yeah. self-defense home invasion situation, right. so gotcha. no gotcha there. Okay. But here's the twist on the situation, so now imagine, and this may be a stretch, now imagine that you're a scientist, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you work with advanced laser technology. It's meant to be used in industrial mining. None of those lazy uh, lasers. These are advanced lasers. These are advanced lasers. Uh, and so you have been working on this early prototype uh, laser for mining. It's uh, The prototype itself is about, uh, it's a handheld box. It's about the size of a cereal box. Um, when you activate it, it emits an invisible laser from the front of it. Uh, it's just a prototype. So it's, you can't actually mine anything or burn anything or blind anyone. It doesn't shoot a visible laser. 
Uh, so it's not like Star Wars or anything like that. <laughs> okay. But exposure to the laser beam causes rapid development of severe cancer. Um, when I say rapid, I'm talking maybe over the course of uh, two weeks. So okay. it's not it's not instantaneous, but like. Do you mean if you got hit with it in two weeks, you would have cancer, or do you mean if I were to have the beam on someone for two weeks, they would have cancer? Uh, I mean, if you get hit with it at all, then you're going in two weeks. You will have developed severe cancer. Okay, got it. Um, so anyway, you brought you had brought this prototype home to work on it over the weekend uh, while asleep. You hear the crash. In the scenario, you don't have a handgun anymore uh, or or any other weapon. So, but you have the prototype laser sitting on your desk uh, right there. Are you justified in using the cancer laser on the robber? Well, I mean, so now the scenario has changed because I, it doesn't sound like it would deter him. He might not even know what would happen, right? So as far as like usefulness of the situation, not very useful. Um, but that's not your question. The question is, are you justified in it, right? Like, right. So, so if I'm trying to make myself safe, then this makes no sense. But am I justified? Uh, because I mean, surely, like, I'm in immediate danger. I'm being threatened. I'm going to grab a baseball bat. I'm going to grab something as he's advancing because this isn't going to stop his advancement. Uh, no. So I don't. I just. I'm sorry. I'm hung up on the fact that like. <laughs> that's true. I, you, in terms of, I mean, unless you can somehow convey to him that this is a deadly box you're holding, which is, let's be real, this Robert, if you say, hey, look, I'm a scientist, uh, this is advanced prototype laser, laser technology, like, you're not going to be able to convince him of that. Can, this looks like a... Yeah, yeah. Well, what if, what if I box. was, what if I was, um, I don't want to change your scenario, because I, I will address it, but I'm thinking, like, so this guy's, like, robbed your car, and you've called the cops, and they're always late, and they all don't do anything, but I see him doing it every time, but I'm scared to confront him because he's big or whatever. Am I, what if I just beamed him with it, like... like Stealthily? Yeah. Um, but yeah. the, the scenario has now changed because I'm, I'm not threatened. Um, so, anyway. Right. So we, can, we can analyze. That's interesting. We can analyze that scenario, but... Uh, but let's but, let's stick so, with this one so first. In this situation, I'm still trying. Do you mind if I press a little further? Like, why would Fine. why the heck would I use that beam uh, in this scenario? Like, I just I'm, he's not. It's not saving me. It's not doing anything other than haha. In two weeks, you're gonna pay. You know, justice will be served, or some sort of version of justice um, will be served. So that, I mean that that's a consideration. I mean, look the the idea is you in our in our system of law. And I think in most people's um, governing morality, you're justified in using lethal force um, if you are under threat of danger or if someone is invading your property. Uh, right. And this, you know, if you have a handgun, it's immediate lethal force. If right. you have a cancer laser, it's not immediate lethal force, but it's still lethal force. And the question is, if you're justified in using lethal force, what's the difference of the right. time frame? Delayed lethal force. Right. Um, because there is something about me saying, well, the lethal the lethal force is, it's all about immediacy to me. Like The reason you had to use lethal force is to immediately stop it. So I guess I really am getting at the core of the issue because uh-huh. now I'm using a lethal force, but it's the immediacy isn't there. It's not actually preventing him from you know, inflicting harm upon me in that moment. So therefore I'm, you know, the, the lethality of it, 
like the lethality is only because it had to be so fierce because of the immediacy because it was such a pressing it was literally a dire moment and that's why i think we are we the laws have unfolded the way we have because it has there was no other option and in this case it almost doesn't even make sense to do it and since there were tons of other options and since killing someone is a major major uh it's it's one of the most grand things you could do morally like questionable things like death and putting someone taking someone's life into your own hands so i don't view this as a moral thing to do um although i could like maybe sympathize with like you know some some a-hole gets what's coming to him i think there's a part of everyone in their spirit that goes yeah you know you shouldn't be doing that you put yourself in a position and you got burned but at the same time like no i i just don't think i could go get behind death that wasn't necessary because it didn't do anything in that moment even if it balanced the scale so to speak even if we could quantify a life is worth x amount of theft let's just say assume a huge assumption we could do that for a second it's just like that's delay the delay man it's not immediate so it's not as necessary it's not as pressing Mm -hmm. so therefore it's immoral okay i tend i tend to agree with that analysis and like I also think you're completely right in the fact that the the um, the threat of danger to yourself is what justifies the use of lethal force. Um, it's not theft, you know. If someone, yeah, I think actually, the, I'm not a lawyer, but I think the, it actually is. If uh, you know, if someone steals something from you and then is like running away, and you're no longer under threat of of danger, you can't like shoot at them while they're running down the street away, you know, with your DVD player or something. Right. With your grandma's urn. Um, <laughs> get back here with my grandma! Um, no, but yeah, and I also, I, I tend to think that that's immoral at that point. I mean, like, look, if you are if you said, oh, I was shooting at their leg to You can't do that. I don't think like, that holds too, up. Too, no, yeah, like, what do you, what do you, when, like, when, too gray, too I'm weird. pretty sure that in, in the eyes of the law, if you, if you aim... A lethal a gun at someone and pull the trigger. It doesn't matter if you're shooting for their leg or their foot. It doesn't matter if you're aiming a gun at someone. You're willing to kill them. So it's kind of irrelevant what you what part of them you're aiming for. I think that's just the best um, way to to legislate because I mean you're yeah. pointing something lethal at someone and you're pulling the lethal gun yeah. the lethal weapon trigger. <laughs> so, right. Right. Yeah. Um. So I, I tend to agree with your moral assessment. There is uh. I have a tweak on the situation that I just thought of, uh, but before I move to the tweak, like it. So you you've given me your rationale, but but is is it immoral to use the cancer laser on the robber? Like, is this a morally reprehensible act, or is it just something you would not do? Um, I do think it's morally reprehensible because it didn't. Look, if you said the laser was strong enough to incapacitate them in the moment and then we'll kill them two weeks later, that's actually now we're getting into a... If they're charging at me and I had to incapacitate them and, yeah, it's going to be two hour, two weeks of misery um, and then they, you know, die or at least have some terminal cancer. Look, I mean, I, I had to incapacitate them. They were threatening me. That's fine. Um, but, yeah, I think it's immoral to, to say, you know... You were stealing from me. I didn't stop you, but I like what? What are you? You're trying to take justice into your own hands, and uh, I'm uncomfortable with 
I'm not uncomfortable with justice playing out outside of the law. I'm not, but I but I just feel firmly that it you know a robbery and death are not equitable in any sense. Just okay. it's just not. So So I thought of another tweak actually. So my my first tweak was what you mentioned. So imagine that now when you when you activate the laser, a blinding light comes out of it and it, it truly blinding. So when you shoot the guy with the laser, he will be blind. And he will also get cancer in two weeks. Um, so then it, you're saying it's justifiable because it yeah. will probably it stop him. It did something. The immediacy is back at play. It did okay. something. Yeah. So um, imagine that instead of just advancing towards you, you know, with his hands out or whatever, like he's got a knife. You, you've got your box laser. It doesn't blind. It's the originally proposed cancer laser. He pulls okay. out a knife. He's like advancing at you and stabbing you to the point like he has already stabbed you a couple of times this is going this is going to be fatal for you you're not yeah. making it out of this uh are you justified then in you know in your last gasping uh, moment of strength can you activate the cancer laser as he is like you know wiping off his fingerprints and grabbing right. your grandma's urn and leaving <laughs> No, like so. He uh, he's leaving, and you <clears throat> you have it where you could basically hit him as he's walking out the door. Yeah, like, the damage has been done. He's basically taken your life, or at least you you're probably not a hundred percent certain, but you're like you're dying. You're sitting there dying. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I think yeah, you are. Uh, that's at least my knee jerk. Interesting. I'll have to think this through. Very interesting. I'll, ha- I'll have to think this through. But yeah. again, I am okay with justice occurring outside of the law, and he uh-huh. has just mur- murdered you. And like, right. I. Uh, uh, it's weird because I'm, if we get into death penalty stuff, I get a little more uncomfortable with death penalty than I do with a very, like, this is between two people. One came in and ki- was killing the other, and the other one said, well, you're going down with me. And, like, that just seems okay but okay to me. <laughs> like, the reason it, it is justice, it is balanced. It's not only balanced, like, like yeah, you, you it's killed almost, me, and I... It, and ahead. I killed you. It's almost more balanced than... than you know, letting the state come in. Yeah, there's something and... messy about like this third party running it through a very convoluted system in which they then like, you know, give you a shot or something and people watch you and it's like published. Like, it's just weird. Whereas this, this is a, uh, I wouldn't even call it balanced though because one was just minding their own business in their home and they got murdered and the, and, and in yeah, that act sure. were able Obviously to inflict unjust. damage upon the other. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, unjust still. But, but at least that plays out, um, cleaner and i i think look i it's not that i don't believe murderers deserve death they may or may not the reason i'm resistant i'm even okay with saying they do just for the sake of their argument let's say they do i'm just uncomfortable with all the things i just listed with this with a system that says i am confident enough to to have the power to go kill people like i i don't want a system to be able to however systematized it is however just it attempts to be we're now like allowing a system to go out and kill people and i use that as a neutral term i didn't say murder and i didn't say you know yeah yeah, yeah. execute like i think the most neutral is just to say kill um a system has endowed the power upon itself to kill and like that makes me uncomfortable because it's you know systems are flawed and all that and killing is not reversible and that's where i resist i don't resist the idea that like some murderer deserves death. That seems that seems okay by me, um, and that's why, uh, if I'm being murdered and I can 
you know, can also take out my murderer. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it without reservation. I'm not going to think, you know what, as I hold the laser pointed at them, I will instead hope you find redemption in another way. Like, eh, you know, sorry, man. Like, I don't get redemption here in this moment. And so you're going down with me. And maybe that's harsh of me. I don't know. But I'm pulling that. I'm pulling that laser trigger every time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So actually, I think I think we align. Probably not surprising. We we have a lot of similar outlooks. Uh, I tend it's to annoying. agree with I that. I want you to disagree with me. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. But I, I can't say I do this time. But I find this really interesting because, and, and I guess this speaks to the to the complexity of these kinds of situations, but... Pretty spicy. You, pretty spicy, right? But yeah. like the difference the difference in you using the cancer laser on this guy, like he's approaching you, you will not use it. He's like reaching his hands out to you, you will not use it. It takes him actually like murdering you before you will use it. Like you must be like he has to go through with his act before you will react. And I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like that's morally consistent. It's just if the guy has if the guy has murderous intent, if you only knew that, then you could get out of it without being murdered. Right. Maybe. Well, well I guess actually you probably couldn't since it doesn't kill him immediately. So that's the thing. It would even if you apply it to our law, like someone who is threatening versus doing right. is just that's so true. there's a huge difference and then so displaying tendencies you get into a minority report situation where like oh now we have a very complex algorithm that says this person has done these things and they're 98 percent likelihood that they will do this crime well then should right. we just go ahead and arrest them for it and like society sure. would be better off but i feel like we're violating there's some huge violation like we're arresting and that's it playing out in a very physical real way someone's coming at you that's the threat um Although, like, it's tragic to have to wait for someone to stab you to then <laughs> right. do it. Um, but I'm, I'm at least in this situation. Um, look, if they're coming at me and I can stop them in any way, yeah. But if they've already committed the the deed and like, and I can just make them pay, then yeah, like I am. And there's, I I can I think I can even be consistent and hope and hope they find a redemption. I think you could say something like, "Well, I pray that they find some peace and you know forgiveness and somehow, but they also should die." Like I feel like that's fine and still consistent too. So yeah, huh? Very interesting. I yeah, uh, yeah I, I, that was actually one of the first situations I thought of when I was conceptualizing mind your morals. Um, and thought it was really uh, an interesting situation. So, well reasoned. Yeah, I can't say I disagree with uh, with your take on that one. It's hard not to talk about that sort of like fold in the death penalty, which I guess like is a sort of a, a more tired way of thinking about it. But uh, I like. Yeah, well, I don't really want to. I mean, I I do find the death penalty an interesting topic, uh, and you actually, when you're talking about that subject, you rope in the idea of war. When is killing? someone else justified from a from a societal level you know from a nation right. level um but that's not a mind your moral situation i want i you know i kind of want sillier or at least different uh kinds of situations or at least localized that's more of like the morality of a of giant institution or group of people versus like it's you in this moral situation and how do you operate within right. your sphere of influence because it's so bit much bigger when you're sending groups off to 
yeah, battle. Yeah. And, and we are. Let's be. Uh, let's be real about this. We are limited in our in our expertise on you know, speak for on, yourself yeah right like we can't really comment too much on you know that stuff I, I think you know obviously we we should be able to comment on that stuff but we're not experts whereas this is a personal situation and it's easier to assess your morals in the situation so yeah so very interesting thank you for uh for sharing your morality you're welcome um, so actually, I have uh, I have another topic that I want to discuss with you, and uh, it's another it's I mean it's a psychologically based topic, so I guess it's semi deep, but it's not quite as spicy as that. I guess this isn't a mind your moral situation. Does this but, get into a meat? Okay, so it's not a medium. <laughs> Got it. No, no, it's not. It's not mind your morals at all. Um, but this is a concept that I, I know we've talked about, but it's been a long time, and it certainly hasn't been on the podcast. But it's this idea of when worlds collide, and what I mean when I say that is, uh, it's you know it's a situation that I think everyone has had where you have you know a social circle, maybe it's your friends, uh, your school friends, and then you have another social circle, maybe it's your coworkers or maybe it's your family, and there are certain situations in life when those two worlds come together, and you have to interact simultaneously with these two different groups of people. Right, we've all um, experienced that because you have different roles and you you behave certain ways with the different groups, and so how do you how do you navigate? harmonize that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, really, the root of what I want to talk about is the discomfort of worlds colliding, and so I want to know why that happens. Um, and so maybe to kind of maybe to kind of ground the situation, we can think of some examples that. Um, that we've really had, or some hypothetical examples, and just to kind of uh, get the idea across to people, and then we can try to analyze maybe why it's uncomfortable or how strategies for how you would navigate these things. Well, you, you got my brain racing for a second because I think it's important first to acknowledge that uh, you know uh, we are individuals, but even within ourselves, we we contain multitudes. There's a bunch of different versions of ourselves, and that it doesn't mean we're dis we're not harmonious or that we're lying. It just means no. that. We play another point. Roles. I want to. I want to talk about that point. Yeah. Well, I was, so to me, I wear many different hats. Like I'm a teacher, and I'm a friend, and I'm a brother, and I'm a son, and all of these things. And so, although I can be a hundred percent sincere in all of those things, I might say curse more with my friends than I do with my students. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty clear cut uh, difference, right? Or at least I might, if my friends curse, I might not. <laughs> like say, mm -hmm. hey, you cut it out versus with students, I'm going to, you know, act accordingly because I'm playing a different role. And I don't think that that makes me fake as a teacher. I think it means uh, I'm working within the role that I exist in. Um, and that might like my friends might ex tell jokes that I wouldn't tell at my at the family dinner, that sort of thing. So I am right. very comfortable that I always actually plagued me growing up I always thought I'm my I must be my real self with my friends I think is our natural inclination right because our guards mm -hmm. let down we can maybe reveal secrets that we wouldn't want our parents to know or something like that so I always thought okay when am I the most real because you're you're a kid looking to discover yourself in the world and so you want you want sincerity it's why you don't like it's why Holden Caulfield doesn't like phonies and fake and the world's fake everyone's insincere and you crave sincerity and you feel that that is with 
with your friends, meaning you must be fake with your parents or you must be fake in your you know, job or as a student. You're being so fake in class because that's not how you really talk, whatever that means. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? You want me to, I can keep going. You can no, jump in, whatever. No, but. that no, that makes that makes total sense. I'm I'm 100 on board. I find it interesting that you that you initially say when are you most comfortable, or maybe maybe even when are you most sincere with your friends. I wonder if everyone would have that answer, or if some people would say I'm most sincere with my family, and if that varies with age. I'd like to know too, because here's the thing is I have a very good relationship with my parents. I love them to death. And so it was actually difficult being say 14, 15, 16, whatever, where you're like telling dirty jokes with friends and you know, whatever. And, and feeling like, Oh, am I lying to my parents? Because I'm not, I don't want them to know that I am telling dirty jokes or something. It's not even explicit lies. It's just that you like your behavior, the things you bring up, the things you comment on, and the way you comment on them is different in these two separate groups. Yes. So and, it's not even it's not even an explicit lie. It's just a difference in behavior. And so my simplistic thought process when I was younger is that I'm being fake, and I must be being fake in one. Like there has to be the real me, and then any deviation is um, insincere or fake or lying or like. So I just had a sort of simple version of what is true because if, but that's really strange because I could be really sincere with my parents. I just am not telling dirty jokes. And I'm, I mean, I'm using the dirty joke thing too much, but I guess what I'm saying is like, I, or, or I had friends that I talked about basketball a lot with, and then like, I wouldn't talk with you about basketball because you don't care about basketball. And so mm-hmm. even within friend groups, even within same age, you know, but like, I, it's, it's like my you know, like people have different interests and you hang, that's why you don't have just yeah. one relationship. You have to, they pull out different aspects of your personality and interests. So one thing that, that came to mind while you're talking about this and like we are, we're really focusing down on dirty jokes and stuff when that's not the point and you recognize that. Yeah. Um, but, but what came to mind when you say that is, you know, when I think about myself as a teenager, you know, as in middle school and stuff, you say you're, you know, you felt most sincere or most comfortable around friends, and so you know you're telling some jo- jokes and whatever. You were being, you're, I mean, which I think is natural and normal for a teenager to an edgy you know, be teenager, re- right? Be edgy yeah. and rebellious when you're away from your parents is totally normal. But when I think about myself, when I was in middle school, like I actually was kind of weird, I think, because like I didn't curse, and and when I try to think about the reasons why I didn't curse, every you know I went to public school and middle school, and everyone's cursing around me, and like I actually experienced some pushback for not cursing. Some people obviously they noticed, and it would have been socially easier had I just given in and started cursing to fit in, but I didn't do that, and and I think like thinking back on it now, I think maybe it was a harmony thing. Like, it would have felt like I'm not the same Bennett at school as I am at home, you know, and, and it felt disharmonious. And so that was the reason why I didn't curse. I acted the same. I tried to act the same as I do when I'm at home. Right. I actually think, so weirdly, like, I cursed and you didn't curse for the same reasons. Is in this, We're searching out sincerity and harmony, and I was like, okay, well... 
my natural state must be that of a cursor. I must just want to curse. Instead of seeing it as just a social role and pressures, I saw it as like, I guess the most sincere version of myself curses, and that's why I'm insincere on my parents. And it was frustrating. And you were trying to say, well, then I'm, I'm, I'm not a cursor, and like I'll just be consistent. So we're really doing it for the same motivations, possibly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's some nugget under here about each person's resistance to change, because you know, I'm fairly resistant to change, and if my norm is not cursing, then when I enter a situation in which I'm pressured to curse, then you know, I'm just resistant to that. I'm resistant to changing what I view as you know my sincere, harmonious self. And like, I wonder if you're more. Uh, more open to change. I think based on our personalities, yeah. that makes sense. It, it definitely makes sense. And I think as a, I was just trying to fit in socially and like it was a little bit, I think, I mean, I have a whole thing on cursing and I don't want to get stuck on it, but like yeah. it's safe rebellion, you know, like you're you're cursing and that's taboo, but like how taboo is saying some words. I, I know words are important. I'm an English teacher for crying out loud, but like you're not doing drugs. You're not sneaking out in the middle of the night. You're not putting yourself in like, real danger you're you're um you've been told saying a word is bad and so now you're play like it's it's almost like safe exploration into taboo territory you're like no the consequences are only because of social constructs and so um it, it's this idea of code switching i mean i joke around and think I've, I've always said i think teachers curse more than the average group of individuals and we curse more when we're with our kind. So what happens is you go to the teacher lounge or you go to grab a drink on a Friday after work and you get together. That's what they say. That's the whole phrase. It's got a mouth like a teacher. You got a mouth. (laughs) Yeah, mouth like a teacher. That's it. Um, I've heard that before. But but what I've realized is, and you'll even hear people say like, oh, I don't trust someone who won't curse or I I don't trust someone who won't have a drink or just silly little things. But, But what I think they're trying to say is like, all right, look, we're now not away. We're away from students. Hell yeah. It's like us. And so welcome to the team. And so you you curse as a, we're away from the kids and I like you. You know, like we have a bond. It's a little bit of a bond to get together and just curse up a storm. And it feels special. It's almost Pavlovian. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, it's Friday. I'm cursing with my, you know, colleagues and friends. <laughs> and, I, and, te- and kids do the same thing. Kids like, so we're, we come together. We have academic discussions. We polish up our language. And I, you know, I have my tie on. And like, like we're, all, we're all together. And it's healthy, by the way. And it's still sincere. And it's still tr- like true. It's just time to code switch, and that sure. skill is valuable. Like, because when you go to work, you're not the same as when you go home or with your with your friend. And so, I, I I've grown increasingly comfortable that like, okay, well, how I behave in a family, there's not disharmony because I'm behaving differently. I just right. understand these roles, and like, I don't want to. Cur- I I find it refreshing to be around my parents or 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 like at a Christmas dinner with a bunch of relatives, and like, it's fairly wholesome. I like wholesome activities. So, so yeah. Okay. So that's fine. That's all well and good. But what I really want to hone in on is the the difficult situations when these worlds do collide. Yes. So I, I completely agree with you that we, we keep separate worlds and we code switch between them. That just seems like natural human yeah. behavior. Yeah, I just wanted to and lay we can, that groundwork as to why it's yeah, uncomfortable, though. Totally. Like, so, yeah. if I, so if all of a sudden, if I'm used to um, my friends yeah. and I behave a certain way and then they come around my parents, then then I'm not sure which 
code to adhere exactly. to? And Which what if my friend violates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if right, cursing, right. to me, it's a really clear we look, if there's cursors and non-cursors, like, then, then, and people might disagree with this, but like, we should probably not curse, like, when we're in the same group together, because it's not offensive to not curse, but it is offensive to curse. So yeah, sure, the the the, uh, the cost benefit analysis. You know, the cost of not cursing is nothing. The cost of cursing is something, um, and so yes. you're going to come out negative. So in that situation, though, I I don't say to my friends or something theoretically anyway. Don't don't curse or tell dirty jokes. Like I hope that they pick up on social cues and stuff. So then they right. get together and maybe they do test those waters. Maybe they do curse around their parents. I don't know. Um, uh-huh. And not that I don't curse around them. By the way, that was kind of a but but I don't well I don't curse a lot. I mean cursing anyway, I cursing like, cursing know. is a specific example to represent a broader set of activities. Yes. Like obviously you don't behave exactly the same around your parents as yeah. you do around your friends. Like I mean I know that when we hang out away from your parents you're doing drugs and you're like <laughs> robbing cars and shooting cancer Flipping lasers the birds, everything shooting cancer yeah. lasers at strangers babies and stuff yeah. all kinds of stuff so I'm I'm aware that you have different <laughs> codes and you switch and all of that stuff so we don't have to go there but we're just using cursing as a stand-in for all right. of that morally that's, degenerate that's... stuff that you do <laughs> it's not morally degenerate even I don't want to confuse that's actually important though like just like <laughs> right like, sure yeah, yeah, yeah you're right no, but like if I'm it's around my different behavior. Yeah, just different all. behavior. So it could be like a book club. It could that even just be like, like more, okay. more or less outgoing. Like uh, in some instances, you may let others take the lead and speak more, and in, in another circle, you may be the leader. I mean, this seems to be applicable to you in the classroom versus a situation in which you know you may not be an expert. Which is interesting because I think we are all awkward. It's just depending on what the situation is. Every single human doesn't thrive socially in every social situation. There's so many dynamics. So like in a uh, classroom. Not so I- fast. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Speak for yourself. No, I so like take me in the classroom where I'm comfortable and I have good dynamics with my class. Let's assume I do for for the sake of the argument and like things are kicking and I'm very like, like they would perceive me as a socially savvy individual that then place me at like a Christmas party or, you know, something with a bunch of people. I, I can be a lot more awkward and not know how to navigate that. So um, it just depends on that situation. So, and even in that situation, at least it's clear it's Christmas party. Be your Christmas party self. And I just don't know who that happens to be. I haven't refined that. But mm-hmm. it's just more confusing. The world's colliding, which is the whole discussion. It's like, all right, well, I got my friends in the same room as my parents, as the same room as, as like my girlfriend. And like, so I have all these behaviors. Like, uh, you right. can imagine, and it is true, like, like with me and my girlfriend, like, there's the romantic aspect. So everyone has to negotiate this in a relationship. Like, okay, we have our romantic like behavior and how we exist. So to what extent, like it's PDA, public displays of affection. How much, how much are we like going to do that when we're around other people? Um, and what are we comfortable with? So, and, and it's and, funny how, how little of that is explicitly discussed. Oh yeah. And how like much is just intuited. Not. Like you yes. just, you just do it. And then there's the like, frankly, you know, with your with guys and your your guy friends. To me, it's like, all right. So if you, are you do you talk about past romances or how hot that girl that just walked by is or something like that, like stuff that's right. a little taboo and like you don't want to you don't disrespect your girlfriend by doing that. And then there's the well, 
I mean, maybe she's cool with that. And how cool is that? Like, I, it, it's just a really... So the thing about a girlfriend in particular is that you, the girlfriend, the, your girlfriend is with you frequently. Also, so they come depends into on all your what worlds. time of month it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, he just went there. Uh, he went there. <laughs> and I'm so- also single, by the way. <laughs> Not surprising. But but in, in a romantic relationship, you take your partner and you are actually like... You, you said, okay, well, our world is like almost singular now in a lot of ways. Like you should have time for like, you know, friends that you have. Of course, you can, you're, you're not one, and that's silly yeah. to say you're one, but like if you're living together or you're like, so your social circles have all, are going to have a lot of overlap and, and travel. Yeah, eventually, so, eventually yeah. the worlds collide enough that they merge, yeah. um, you know, somewhat. And so then that question is like, well, how do you navigate those behaviors? And so, and then like there's you and I, like we love B movies and that's pretty much, it's a one world world. No one, no one else is in. <laughs> that's true. It's just you and me, man. And like, I can't expect uh, most people to, to love that. And nor do I care if they do. I don't need them to love it either. So if you and I get together and want to watch 10 B movies in a row and, uh, you know, my girlfriend's in, like like here too like how do you respectfully navigate hey this is b-movie time and uh and you know a, a good girlfriend and she's awesome about this will just be like yeah go do that that doesn't bother me at all i'm just gonna go do my own thing and that's a healthy relationship they're not there's no dependency in that in that way um i just i it it, it has to be navigated though right like like mm-hmm whether it's a romantic relationship or, or other, like you have a party and you have multiple friends, you have the people from your book club and you have your yep. colleagues and you have your best friend and then you have your friend that you grew up with, but you're not quite as close anymore. Like you can imagine a birthday party and that's yeah, like recall, a actually, wedding or something. So Recall this situation, a real situation that you and I had. Um, do you remember, I think it was in seventh or eighth grade or something, uh, there was a paint, we played paintball and uh, you... And I went to this, we went to different schools at that point in middle okay. school. And so I had some new friends uh, and then you were one of my old friends from my previous school. Yes. And there was a paintball party and I invited you to come. And so it was you and me and two of my new friends. And we were in this other place, one of their like campers or something out in the woods. Yes. And it was a very strange situation of worlds colliding. It was for both of us, right? Oh, because yeah, you know, you and these two new friends had never met each other, and paintball was an, a a weird uh, sort of setting for this. Um, and I remember it just being a very strange experience. It's it's funny you say that. it's a very vague experience, but also I remember being fairly miserable. And I don't know if I judged them immediately or they judged me, but like we weren't meshing particularly well, but not enough to be like a downright ugly or anything, but just like a Pretty well, much was, like we're not going to be like we're not forming new friendships in super healthy ways as the days well, unfold. And we're not laughing and telling jokes together. It was just like a, mm, there was friction or something. Right. Well, I think it was I actually think the reason is because it was an immature attempt or or just an like when you're immature, you don't know how to deal with worlds colliding and you're bad at it. And right. so an easy way to deal with worlds colliding when you're a kid is to just pick a world and ostracize yeah, one world. the other world. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's an easy way to do it. That's not exactly what happened with us. No. Like, but, but that is a way to accomplish it. And I think that the reason why it was so strange, you know, aside from the whole 
you know, you're not a big fan of paintball. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that complicated things. But even for me, I love paintball. And, you know, I, I was friends with both sets of people. Even I found it to be an awkward situation. And I think it was just because I didn't know how to navigate these two worlds. I had a different friendship with you than I did with these other people. And so having those worlds collide was really strange, and I didn't know how to navigate it. And in fact, actually being completely honest, if I were to, if if there was some strange kind of reunion in which you and me and these two guys got back together again, I think it would be just as awkward now. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of things, like we probably just weren't, maybe there weren't enough interests um, because if I was all on board on, on paintball and especially when you're younger, that would command some respect from them. If they're great and I'm great and we're like, Oh, then we're just like talking about paintball guns and whatever, then great. We just have this sort of commonality. But like if I was a little iffy on the paintball and maybe they were my memory and this might not be accurate, but they were a little rougher, tougher, like outdoorsy and I just wasn't. So I felt immediately othered and I think they sensed like, I don't give off that vibe and they're just kind of like, Oh, he, he's he's a little different and that just they decided to sort of you know politely reject that world and I don't think I was wanting in either and so and then Mm -hmm. your role is the glue you are the world colliding you're like the point so your job is is difficult in those situations that like you have I think a some duty to be like there's obvious introductions but then also you got to check on me and check on them and like play both worlds and merge them smoothly. Yeah. Like you my are, world, that's very my difficult. situation is the most difficult because I I have to deal with both of these worlds afterwards. Um, right. It was still worlds colliding for you, but one of these worlds was totally foreign and you don't care what happens to it. Uh, right. And, and so even though it was awkward in that situation, there were no consequences for you. For me, I had to deal with both worlds. And so that's really the most interesting thing to examine is how do you navigate a situation in which two worlds that you're going to have to deal with going forward are colliding? And I've actually seen some strategies that work pretty well, or at least to me, is a couple of things. Like you have to sort of accept that your role is is blending worlds. So that means you are there's a little more showmanship and pageantry. That's just like, look, you you're going to be a big, you're you're kind of people are going to look to you to help us navigate the worlds, right? Like whoever the person is, you in this situation, it's like. It's not your job because it's still people are people and they have some job to be social and polite and nice and all that. But they're looking to you as the, the social glue. And so go ahead and own that role. To me, like the best way to do it is to sort of play that role. Be And then like if you can, you pick you either pick on yourself or it, or if one of the parties makes fun of you, then the other party forms a bomb with that party and going yeah 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 and like make fun of them and they, so they get to be some butt of jokes and that sort of uh because look at, at that moment your the connection is you the that individual so you need to sort of pick on yourself or or does that make any sense <laughs> no yeah that makes sense i mean that's a good strategy for smoothing things over but but i also think it's highly situation dependent you know depending on which worlds are colliding whether you have the opportunity to use these strategies or not. I mean, not. yeah, but I've just seen it work pretty oh, yeah, well. Sure. Where I, like, especially that like, if 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 I if I am party A and I'm introducing B and C, B like kind of winks and nods at C as they tease me, party A, and it just work. It just like relieves. You know, it's humor. It's something that hopefully both 
parties B and C have noticed about party A, and uh, and it just unfolds smoothly, and it like it it is social lubricant. It's humor as social lubricant. Yeah. Sure. Like what? By the way, what don't use the word social of- lubricant in uh, as a as a classroom. I use that in AP Lang, and they just couldn't get over uh, me saying social lubricant. That's not a good term really? for high school. That's a, that's a good phrase. <laughs> I know. I was talking about humor as a social lubricant, and they they just were grinning and laughing and make, made fun of me for a while. That became a thing as they'd be like, ooh, I think this is social lubricant. <laughs> like, they just used it way too much. It was funny. They killed the joke, but it was funny. Yeah. Um, I think that this becomes especially difficult when there are expectations, different expectations from the different worlds. So... You know, we've kind of hammered this point already, but if you, when you're around friends, you are very boisterous and joking. And when you're around maybe your church group, you are reserved and polite. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, you know, you go on some kind of church trip and bring your friends along. I don't know. I'm just, this is just coming to me. Like, that's going to be an awkward situation because there are expectations on you from both groups. Right. Uh and so, like, the strategy that occurs to me as the best is, like, you got to take a lowest common denominator approach. So it's kind of like with the cursing, you're just not going to curse because that doesn't cost anything. So you're, it's almost a lose-lose situation for you because you have to, not, you have to behave as 75% Daniel with your friend group and 75% Daniel with your church group. Like, you, you just have to tone, tone yourself down to your basic parts. Uh, be so the that, most agreeable milk toast. <laughs> yeah, like the like if we all have some core of ourself that uh, you know our core personality, our core beliefs, our core habits and behaviors, and then you know, with certain groups we get brave and we and we step outside of those bounds and we experience or we experiment and we test our limits and that's how you behave in different worlds. Mm-hmm. But when the worlds collide. Now you can't step out of these bounds in one direction or the other because you may step on someone's toes. So now you're just not stepping outside of any bounds and you're just cutting yourself down to your core and behaving that way, um, which both groups may notice. They may be, your friends may be like, "Hey, I notice you're uh, you know you're not co- talking very much. Like something right. wrong." They may even be kind of annoyed about it. Um, and you know, your church group may be like, I don't know what they would say. I noticed you weren't, uh, as, as virtuous. Uh, <laughs> or, I, I don't know. I don't know what they would say. Uh, but, uh, you didn't offer to lead the prayer. Right. Um, well, or if, if you're a leader in your friend group and more of a follower in your church group and now your, your roles are like, eh, crap, what am I doing? Am I leading or following? And, and that's a simplistic way of saying, I, 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 yeah, well, what is well, my yeah. role? I'm, I'm a and it may be easy to make a mistake like where you're in that world collision situation and you for a moment you step into the friend world and you make a joke even if it's not a dirty joke or anything but you speak up and it shocks one group because whoa didn't expect to hear something from you you know Um, whereas it seems normal to your friends and that's just a really hard situation to navigate it's no wonder people don't like world colliding colliding. it's just yeah i mean when it goes well it goes well and it's fine um but yeah it's just it's no matter what the case you do behave different in different relationships and that's normal and natural and so as they come together in the same room and your roles are mixed now you don't know what that concoction is going to be you don't know 
what you're dealing with. Like, what what will this reveal about yourself? <laughs> you might not even be that sure. Yeah. Uh, so well, I had a thought when I was thinking about this topic, and I wondered, is and this may be different for you and I, but um, is simply having guests to your home a, a world collision situation? Like, not guests from two different groups, just having guests, any guests in your home. But is your wor- is is your home a world, and then when your interaction with guests another world, and is that a collision? That's interesting to say. I mean, yeah, of course, in some sense, the physical space, of course, is a world, and you behave in that world. Like, presumably, your guard is down in your world. You exist, like, you, you take your shirt off and walk around the house or whatever. You, you put your feet up on the table. You might even, like, do things you wouldn't want people to know. Maybe you clip your toenail. Maybe you, like, bite your toenails. Maybe you do some little <laughs> idiosyncrasies that you don't project to other people. And all of a sudden, when you have a guest, you're amending that behavior because you know, like, what is and isn't socially acceptable. And even if it's not, it's not like it's unacceptable. No one's going to, like, judge you for walking around in your house with your shirt off. No one would. But all of a sudden, if you have a guest, I'm you might not walk around with your shirt off. You may. You may not, though. So you're amending your behavior. So, yeah. then And maybe they, like, maybe they... I don't know, like sit in your sit spot. In your spot. Uh-huh. That's what I was gonna say. Sit in your spot. They are now occupying space, and you react to their occupation of that space. Of yeah. course, you do. Like it's natural to amend your behavior when you know different things are are introduced into your world, including people. So yeah, I think it's yes. So but now that opens up the definition of like. N- now, if you have like a bar buddy, this person you enjoy chatting with on Friday, who's always at that bar, and then now they've come to your house, you might have a different relationship because same, just you and that bar buddy, but now you went on a walk with them or you played tennis with them or whatever. Like now we have a different, it's just completely different factors uh, coming into the equation. All right. So um, I had another thought uh, on this topic as well. So is being in some formal situation like a wedding or a graduation or a funeral obviously there are worlds colliding because of the guests that are there but even even outside of that consideration is it an example of worlds colliding because the formal situation itself is a tradition so it's a it is an external path it's the past the tradition of the past it's a separate world colliding with your normal mode of behavior in life like, could that explain some of the discomfort that people you know, like me experience in formal situations that uh, it's, it's a world's colliding, even though nece- there's not necessarily any people inherent to the formal situation? So you're outside of the fact that, yeah, it might be a lot of relatives and friends celebrating you and family members right. and whatever. So, well, first of all, the, yeah, the rites of passage, I think is what you're saying. These markers that indicate we're now married or I'm now graduating or I now have this diploma or I am now a member of this community, right? Is that what you're – these are markers. Well, I'm, I'm just saying like like even imagine that, you know, um, imagine – so let's imagine a bachelor party situation because this is something that we've actually – that we've, we've actually had. Uh, and so – that's one world, like the, the friends, the bachelor party friends are one world. There should not be any worlds colliding there. But because it's a bachelor party, there are certain expectations and traditions that are carried out that are, that are abnormal. And those traditions make up a separate world that even though you're already with friends and there shouldn't be any conflict, 
there are worlds colliding. There's your normal behavior, and then there are these imposed traditions. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. In addition to, like, obviously, if you're just going to invite your school, school, like, childhood best friends and... Yeah, not considering world, those. Not considering that's, this, yeah. that's obvious world colliding. Um, well, these are also markers. Yeah, you're right. But they're also markers that, like, you're transitioning from one world to another. And whether it's single life to married, and so, like... And then, and then I think as a society, we sort of like marriages, bachelor parties, graduations, these are also, um, they're their own worlds, right? Like we know this, so we have expectations of, ah, it's probably gonna be a group of guys that might not all know each other, or it's probably gonna be a bunch of relatives and family members and friends. And like we sort of, it, with it, with its own code of conduct, like that exists outside of, like there's not, like, yeah, there, there's societal pressures. I don't know if, if that's really worlds colliding or if it's like, oh, step into this world and that's going to be a little, like, you don't know what a bachelor party is like until you, you're you're in it. Like, right. maybe, and there probably are some people that love bachelor parties. All their friends have been getting married. So they're sort of familiar with the world and like, you're maybe going to your first bachelor party. And so that person might, they might operate differently within that world. But either way, it's its own set of, cultural expectations and yeah well, so it's a collision of sorts I guess. it's a collision of sorts i wasn't sure if it was worlds colliding i don't know if it's the a collision I, then maybe it's not maybe it's not a well collision, the reason just a discomfort. the reason i thought of it is because i was i was recalling a situation where i went to a funeral of a family member a few years ago and i found it really strange because like i already had you know i have relationships with these family members at the funeral but obviously you're supposed to behave in a different way at a funeral than you do normally and but i was i was not able to really do that like i couldn't i just couldn't behave you know somber and like uh, and like sad and it right. felt unnatural it felt wrong actually it felt disharmonious to behave in that way and but i felt like I'm in funeral world, and right. here I am in my, you know, I also have a world built with these family members, and these two things are now in conflict, and I don't know which one to choose. And obviously, you know, again, I'm resistant to change, so I defaulted to my normal interaction with my family members. Who knows whether they thought, yeah, Bennett's acting unusually chipper at this funeral, um, but, like, you know, that's how I was acting, well, and, and and it felt like worlds colliding. It felt like a situation like the paintball party or something. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a collision of worlds or, the, or a, just a series of expectations. We have, like, for instance, grief. Like, funerals and grief go hand in hand. And, like, there are expectations. It, grief looks like your head down. Grief looks like crying. Grief looks like X, Y, and Z. And, and we don't always... Like that's just kind of a, a stereotype, I guess, and grief doesn't always look that way, and you might not feel it in the same way, and so that you you are recognizing those cultural expectations, or grief looks like X, Y, and Z, but your grief might have looked like A, B, and C, and so you're like, ah, you're recognizing you're not uh, adhering to these sort of social norms within this world, and I mean, I think it's a stretch, though. To, well, it is a world, but I really just think it's a it's a yeah, it's fair to say a world or a social construct or a, a, a series of expectations. I mean, I'm just using those three things interchangeably almost. And so it's not a collision of your normal world and like um, funeral world as much as it is like of normal behavior or your feeling and, and then the expectations of how you should display that feeling. Um, or maybe you don't even like 
I think you could experience grief without it being like some heavy sadness. Maybe, maybe like, maybe you could like think fondly of that family member who passed, you know, and like you'd be like kind of grinning at some of the old childhood memories of that that person, and sure. like people go like, "Wow, why are you?" But but then at the same t- time, people will always say, "But it's a celebration of life, not a." And so, like, what if you actually did feel celebratory, truly not in any twisted way, actually a pretty healthy, like, I'm just feeling so much appreciation for this person, man. I mean, I think it has to have some sadness, right? Because they're gone, and, like, that just is inherently Mm -hmm. sad, I think. Um, But I think you could have an overwhelming sense of joy and feel a little weird about that, or, or at least not feel as strongly as you've been, like, I mean, the underpinning here is like that everyone's assuming you feel something strongly and maybe you don't feel the degree to which you feel you should. And that's that feels like your internal harmony and the external harmony, like what would be harmonious is just not coexisting. And so that feels it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you fake crying, you've created external harmony or not crying, but grief in whatever forms they see fit. But you're not being harmonious now if you act harmoniously, then you're going to pay some price possibly uh, socially. Well, that's. That's why that's why I drew the similarity because you know it seems like when worlds collide you basically lose like there is no there is no coming out of that situation better than normal better than your normal behavior with either one of the groups individually like yeah. you just something's got to give in there and that's what it seemed like for the funeral situation as well so well what's um, weird to, well a thought for me though is like <clears throat> as I I think I'm I may be growing increasingly empathetic or sympathetic or I think empathetic. Um, and and it could look like I mean, it would be kind of easy to say, Well, Daniel, you're you're just you're not standing to your principles and you're around someone who feels this way or, or has these beliefs and you're sort of mirroring that and I don't know that it's as simple as saying I'm abandoning principles as more as I like I have an array of principles and, and, and thoughts and I can like emphasize different ones at different times in the same way we code switch. Like, so for me, if, if I'm at a funeral and I don't feel like lowering my head, but I know it will make a lot of people feel better or at least like it, I, I don't see it as abandoning myself to lower my head. Um, and I'm not trying to just justify that. I'm saying it actually feels right to sort of, I'm supporting in a weird way, like I'm helping in a small way. I'm not saying it's significant, but neither is lowering your head. That's not some significant gesture, but it might like play to their expectations and help them through their time of grief. And like, I've, I just don't, like, I don't feel disharmonious there. Um, although it's easy to interpret, I think it's going, well, look at Daniel, he's fake bowing his head or something like, ah. I don't feel fake about it, even though I don't wouldn't normally. Is that strange to say? Like, like I'm doing something that isn't my natural state, but yet it doesn't feel unnatural. So yeah, no, I think it is strange to say, and I'm not sure I'm on board with it hundred percent. Like something just rubs me the wrong way about about submitting your own natural your your own behavior to group behavior without without clear reason. Now, the situation you outlined, maybe there's some little bit of reason if you don't want to cause a disruption, Yeah, maybe for it's example. a cost-benefit analysis. If I don't Fine, feel like putting but, an arm around this person, but it would make them feel better more than it would make me uncomfortable, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my arm but, around them. 
but but I think I have a fundamental distaste for disharmony, and I think you do too. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe people have different tolerance levels for disharmony. But one of the questions I was going to ask you, kind of at the end of this topic, is: is it is it a noble goal to strive for such harmony that no matter what worlds you have, no matter which worlds collide, you you're still harmonious. You're still acting as yourself. Like, is that a noble goal, or is it actually a better goal to 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 beef up your code switching skills and be able to cater? Is it a strength of? Would it yeah. be a strength mm. to be able to cater to different groups, or would it be a strength to be an unchangeable person who doesn't have to change for different groups? Um, I mean, I think if we're talking in the abstract and idealistically, then the the absolute self harmony and you are not catering at all is a it's a rock solid idealist view. Like I can't poke holes in it because it just, it plays out logically. It just like, I, why would you not want to be completely harmonious? Like any arguments otherwise, it sound a little bit silly. Um, and the code switching one sounds dangerously close to abandoning, you know, yourself in some way. But I guess as I'm, I want to try to justify my thought earlier for a moment is like, I don't feel in let's say I'm in a uh, that that um, a grief situation you know someone's died I'm you know at a funeral or whatever and like I don't feel like I have a heavy stake possibly I don't feel like a huge stake in whatever maybe it's just like a relative that I didn't know particularly well now if I had a huge stake if it was like my someone I loved dearly and was super close with I might I might have to take my principled stand and then I need to then I need to right because this means a lot to me but if it doesn't mean that much to me um, then then code switching could both benefit me and others more you know lowering my head and like like amending my behavior I'm not abandoning a sense of self I'm just I'm just kind of doing a cost-benefit analysis and and it's better for everyone including myself if i do it and so i think there's humil there's actual humility in that like it seems to me to not be very humble to say like no i'm not yielding i will not yield for others i mean that's essentially what this seeking out harmony is is could be construed as that's the the ungracious uh, interpretation right. well, i will not yield it- versus i will well, so that's that's a very that's a very good attack on the uh, you know the 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 harmony angle. But let me present to you this you know the you've probably heard of the very common psychological phenomenon of the bystander effect. You know where someone is uh, you know getting murdered or robbed or something, and there's a crowd of people, and no one will take the first step. No one will go to help or call the police or whatever because no one else is. Yeah, no d- one is diffusion. the leader. Diffusion Everyone, of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Diffusion of responsibility. I think there's some sort of link. Obviously, these are two wildly different scenarios. But to me, like when you... I, I agree that there are situations in which adhering very strongly to your own sense of harmony could be a selfish thing to do. But I also think that in other situations, you have a responsibility to yourself because... Yourself, you are most knowledgeable about yourself. You're less knowledgeable about the people around you. So if you have to make a calculated decision on 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 harmony, you're going to know how to handle yourself better than you're going to know how to handle the other people around you. So when when in uncertain times, 
rely on yourself, rely on your principles and your beliefs and your habits and who you are and make your, make your principled stand, make your harmonious stand. Um, well, and that just, that just seems like the way to go. Obviously, again, like I completely agree, cost-benefit analysis. Like if you're in a situation so trivial that it's, you know, bow your head or don't bow your head, then the risks are, are minimal and it doesn't really matter if you make your stand or don't make your stand. Even talking about it as making your stand is kind of silly. But like imagine that it was something that would cause you some discomfort. Like yeah. imagine it was an open casket for a, a relatively a somewhat distant relative and the family wanted everyone to come up and kiss the open <laughs> casket relative yeah. on the lips and say a, a personal goodbye into the microphone. Yeah. Like that's an uncomfortable situation. And if you don't really even know this relative very well, then now do you do you fall in with the herd or do you step out to go to the bathroom, you know, when it's right. your turn? Let, let me, the, okay. I had a good thought. Let me see if I can get this. So forgive me if I fumble my way through it. But like when we talk about harmony and, and how, how we should align ourselves to, to exist, you know, harmoniously, um, I think we need to think about three things. We should, we should strive for hormon, harmony when it comes to morality uh, mental health, and perhaps a sense of duty. I'm, I'm just throwing out these three categories, but I want to play with it for a second. Morality, mental health, and sense of duty. Like, okay. So because I, I don't want to abandon moral principles. I think it's really important to have a sense of self when, with regards to morality, and that's one of the most important things to hone over time. And so that's har, har, any seeking harmony in that c- category is like absolutely a must. Um, also mental health, if you feel like it's going to truly drive you crazy or be like just plague you, um, like in some ways, uh, perhaps kissing that, like, you know, kissing the dead body might actually freak <laughs> you out. Seriously, then you can't, then you yeah, probably yeah. shouldn't do that. Um, then there's like a sense of duty, which probably coincides with morality, but like um, the thing you kind of ought to do toward like your partner, so maybe, or, you know, I don't know. Maybe even social expectation rather than duty. I think it's important to say duty then instead of expect just a social expectation because it, and you know we could define them but but when it comes to like okay so they've presented you with something that's uncomfortable um, like I don't think I don't think being a little bit internally disharmonious is a big deal unless you're violating your moral code you're doing something that's gonna plague your mental health or violate some sense of duty like mate in a major way so I think we should push ourselves to maybe be uncomfortable and maybe kiss that. If, if, if kissing that body would make them so happy and it would make me just uncomfortable, I need to ask what, how uncomfortable am I? If it's off the charts to the point of mental health, then, 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 you know, I, I think it's a reasonable thing to say no. Um, if I have some greater belief about bodies shouldn't be touched, I don't know, then we're in the moral territory. Um, but but I, I really think I want to like examine why why don't I amend myself for others, um, and those three seem to be pretty good uh, reasons. Um, like so, uh, in other words, like I, I would push myself to yeah, sure, code switch the hell out of everything as much as long as I'm not abandoning these some real core principles, and those are the kind of the three core principles that I just came up with on the I spot. I like so the way it might be stupid and. But, yeah, I like the way you frame it, and I like your three choices, but something about it, some, I don't know, maybe this is just me being stubborn, but something about 
bowing to other people's expectations, I don't like it. Like, but let's I, take an innocuous example. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So, like, I mean, I'm just imagining a situation in which um, maybe I'm with a new group of coworkers, or maybe this is uh, some kind of like maybe uh, it's a girlfriend and I'm with her friends. They have some valued tradition where you take a shot of pickle juice uh, <laughs> or, or something. And it's an important tradition. I don't know why this would be the case. And I am somehow roped into this situation. And I abhor pickles and I hate pickle juice. And like the, it would be a social expectation for me to take part. If I don't yeah. take part, my girlfriend's going to be annoyed with me. The friends are going to think less of me. But I don't like freaking pickle juice, and I don't want to bow to the expectations to take a shot of pickle juice. In fact, I almost think that by resist by saying, no thanks, I don't like pickle juice, I now convey very clearly, more clearly, who I am and what I'm willing to do in a situation. And I wonder if, even though I experience some negative blowback from my denial... Short term, if, yeah. Short term, if long term, I don't actually gain something. Like maybe they're annoyed with me in the moment, but over the, over the long term, they learn. Uh, well, that's Bennett. He's not going to do something he doesn't want to do. Like he's not going to be pressured into something. There is um, that, even if it's something innocuous like pickles. And again, this actually reminds me of cursing in middle school. I didn't curse in middle school, and by the time I made it to high school, like. People, like, I didn't get any pushback on that. People were just like, oh, I know who Bennett is. They knew what to expect from me, and they they valued my consistency in a way. Yeah, and I mean, I think you pay those social prices, and then, like, and then it, it evens out. So, like, maybe they, like, you probably paid a social cost for being sort of the, the unusual kid who wouldn't curse. Or, in this case, like, all right, they're not going to push you to do those pickleback shots or whatever. They're just not going to do it. And, like, you know, you miss out on this sort of chance to it, to it it you know bond socially but like that's okay too they also know where you stand and so we, your interactions are going to be less likely to involve asking you know pushing you to do things you don't want to do i mean you could see a scenario in which like you playfully were like well i hate this but you guys are so much fun i'm going to do something i hate just because you guys are awesome and then like you now are doing something you don't like and you may have gained something there too but the cost being they're going to Next time you say no, I'm not doing that. They they think it's a negotiation, which could be annoying. Um, it could be annoying. I mean, I was just thinking like, let me let me throw another scenario out there. So like, maybe you you're an avowed hater of chick flicks. You hate chick flicks, and now your girlfriend loves okay. them, and they are all getting together, and they want to like, come on, Bennett, let's watch chick flicks. And this this group, they love to get there and watch their chick flicks. Like, you can do one, of, and they get together annually. It's not like chick flick of the club of the month, because I think that'd be a bad position to put yourself into um yeah. but but if they're doing it like once a year and they're gonna watch three chick flicks and like so you could do one thing and say i am the kind of human being who you know in in the name of harmony i'm gonna tell them how stupid chick flicks are um right or that avoid the situation reasonable. well yeah or you or you like say like you could even playfully say how like you don't like them but again the sort of but i like you guys enough to do something i don't want to do or you just don't ever even tell them that and you just do it um the chick flick thing don't doesn't make the morality cut or the mental health cut or the sense of beauty cut so i think like like so my decision is at least going hmm this is this is a 
I don't feel the need anyway, some compelling sense of harmony fueling me to go, you need to understand. Well, now, if I, it could be morality if I really thought these were so sexist and like played into like cartoonish caricatures of men or something like that. And like I could see a moral, you know, abhorrence of chick flicks or something like that but that's getting a little silly i think and obnoxious we'd have to understand that we come across a little silly if you're taking some giant moral stand on a genre of crappy movies or something sure anyway my point is like i'm just i'm just more willing to adhere to the group uh in the name of social uh like bonding and like helping or giving or, or just developing the relationship, I, I would I would prioritize the relationship over harmony if it doesn't ask me to violate these certain categories. And I don't think I'm losing a sense of self. I'm just saying that look, my values aren't. Um, See, I'm I just trying that, to humble myself to say that values don't extend to like preferences of movies or something like that. Maybe I mean maybe values no. But if you, like, I would tell you my response in that situation, if, if I had a girlfriend and she wanted me to watch three chick flicks with her and her girlfriends, which sounds horrendous, by the way, that sounds awful. Um, <laughs> I would say, I would say that sounds horrendous. That sounds awful. And I might even go and I would make fun of the movies the whole time. And that's what I would do. Like, that's how I would cope with being in such a detestable situation is make fun of the movies the whole time. They may think that's funny. They may go. They may think that it's annoying. Uh, both are equally li- likely. Maybe one is more <laughs> likely than the other. But but yeah. they are going to know more who I am, and in the future, they're going to know what to expect from me. Like I'm not going to get. I'm I'm either not going to get another invitation to the chick flick party, which is fine by me. Or, like, imagine I had decided to bow to group will and just go pleasantly. Then I may now have future invites to this chick flick watching party that, because I've set a precedent, I'm expected to follow through with. And now I've got myself into more bad situations. Whereas if I had just been harmonious at the start, not necessarily even saying I have to be rude or, or say, you sh- guys shouldn't like these stupid movies. Right. Obviously, I'm not saying that. But like, by being harmonious, by being true to myself and giving my honest opinion on the matter, then, then I don't have to do any future maintenance. Like, there's no maintenance that has to be done going down the line. Right. But I mean, I think the cost is not kind of a zero sum game. It's not like, oh, if I say no to the chick flick things, then I don't get invited to chick flick things. That's all like I'm I am turning away from a like an offer of a relationship to some degree. Like they are. It's not just this isolated thing. It's like, okay, oh, well, he doesn't like this thing I like. Like it starts to form relationships. So I so just want to point out that even though it's harmonious, like the cost isn't just as simple as saying, oh, that means no more chick flick invites and that is it i do think that there are ramifications hard to measure by the way very vague and a little uncomfortable like it's not clear cut what the ramifications are but if you continue to say no i hate your pickle shots no i hate your chick flick nights no i hate i think depending on how strongly by the way like i think you could just say i'm chick flicks aren't my thing but i just don't mind hanging out with you guys or something for an evening like i still think you could voice your preference and then it's it's really dependent on how strong your preferences are how how big of a stand you should make and i guess that's what i wanted to say is like my preferences have 
I don't feel as strongly about my preferences as I do about my values. And that's the takeaway that I, like identity to me is tied to values and harmony should be tied to values, not preferences. So if it's like these like preference area stuff, I'm just a lot more willing to be a chameleon or just playfully say, yeah, it's not my thing, but hey, let's, I'll just go for it. Cause it doesn't make me miserable to engage in pre- like things that aren't up to my preference. Whereas it would be I think almost immoral to adhere to things that go against my values or my identity in that regard. So, yeah, well, I'm not um, going to disagree with you there. Obviously, values are more important than preferences, but I wonder if, but I wonder if there isn't some tenuous connection between values and preferences, and and if if there is some point at which you sacrifice your preferences so consistently that it, it actually becomes a value issue. Um, I could see that being it. That's the danger of going along with the crowd is that I might be my my um, identity and therefore values could become malleable. And like so what I admire about harmony is this sort of um, this adherence to a principled, you know, principled values. That is such an admirable thing. Why would we not want to hone that and, and make that more acute and exact and we should know who we are like we should refine ourselves not just always shift and change with whatever happens to be popular at the time like that's obnoxious and there's no principled stand there so like i really i don't want to i'm really pushing to be devil's advocate i and i also want to push to i i I still i agree with what i'm saying I, i tend to like i think it plays out in our behaviors yours and mine specifically like i'm more willing to just sort of I am more susceptible to groupthink is one of the the downsides of it. I'm more susceptible to, um, but I'm also like more likely to have like more new experiences and like, so, you know, there's like a cost and benefit, but like, I don't want to lose my sense of like morality or values. And that, that is something you should be aware of if you're going to go out, go along with things more often. So that's a, well, that's definitely. a it really and, like, is not, I think, well, I think this is right. a an interesting topic because I do think we differ on it, and I don't think either of us would change our, our behaviors. I mean, we kind of choose our behaviors in this realm, um, and both decisions have their pros and cons. Uh, um, I appreciate the refinement because yeah. you and I have talked about harmony and disharmony for years, and I felt like this discussion has helped me understand a little bit more nuanced of like, well, harmony can be all-encompassing, but I think it's important to distinguish between values and preferences. But then, like, your pushback is valid, too. Is like, well, preferences maybe stem from values, or at least, like, how do we develop preferences? Um, I mean, some things like taste seem to be sort of weirdly innate, right? Like, you're not just... The reason you don't like pickles isn't some pickle like trauma you had as a kid. You just don't like them, and you're not going to like them, or it's not likely anyway. Um versus maybe chick flicks do have some moral underpinning maybe they really do rub us the wrong way because they intentionally produce sort of vapid cartoonish caricatures of of men and women and sort of romanticize relationships in harmful ways and that creates a distaste and you're so you don't prefer chick flicks but really there's a moral underpinning so yeah what is the relationship between preferences and values is is huge um but I think it's important to say that there are some major differences and, you know, and what, what are we striving for? Like, and what, what do we value? Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I do want to mention that I tried, uh, I tried looking for some, uh, some research in this area because I figured someone is bound to have studied this. 
and I actually wasn't, I didn't turn up too much, but I did find a paper that, uh, in, in a psychology journal that was kind of interesting where they tried to carry out some experiments to test worlds colliding. And, um, uh, what they did is they, they used undergrad students, but there was one where they had, they told a student, a pair of students, okay, student A, you are going to act like a party animal, and student B, you're just going to have a conversation with this party, this party animal, student A. And then in a net, another conversation, they're going to get student A, who was the party animal, and they're going to say, okay, in this conversation, you have to act like a nerd, and student C, who they're talking with, is just going to have a normal conversation with them. And then in a third conversation, they put all three together and the student A had to try to balance those roles. Um, and then they measured, uh, <clears throat> you know, they measured um, the opinions of all three people in the conversation. And that was how they attempted to, uh, to simulate this world's colliding situation. I thought it was kind of an interesting, an interesting setup, obviously fraught with problems, um, yeah, but, but like uh, they have the role was, playing was, play out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the closest I could I could find. Um the paper the paper tended to focus a lot on on people's confidence in their ability to balance these situations. Um and kind of the result was they found that that people uh people tend to overvalue their ability to uh to to balance these two worlds. Like when they when they interviewed the students afterwards, they thought they did a better job of um, of acting than they actually did. Uh, and they, they actually did a second experiment that didn't quite seem like worlds colliding to me, where there was, it was basically a secret word game where you, um, you, you have a group uh, of familiar, uh, a familiar group, you get to talk with them a little bit beforehand, um, and you have uh, an essay that you have to read and you have to somehow convey to that familiar group what your secret word is while another group also listening, uh, you can't let slip what your secret word is to them and all you can do is re read the essay. Uh, so that one was kind hmm. of interesting as well. But um, and no need to dig down into either of those. I just thought, you know, it was interesting that this is, something that I think lots of people deal with uh, and it's psychologically interesting and it doesn't seem like there has been an abundance of study on it. Uh, some at least. It was, it was actually nice to find that someone studied this specifically, but I think there's a lot of room for expanding on it. Agreed. Those attempts sound, I mean, to only get at one super small aspect of each of, of the issue and so small that like, yeah, there's a lot of room for growth. I don't know. I mean, easy for me to say, but man, that's interesting that there's been a little bit of research, but not nearly enough in this phenomenon. Yeah. Well, that about does it for worlds colliding. Uh, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Thanks for coming I mean, I to, think we... to third space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we covered that one uh, pretty well. So. All right, good. We're, we're continuing the tradition of awkward endings. Yeah, I love that. Thanks. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Third space. <laughs>